Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer, and your host. And tonight I'm joined by Byron Collins. Byron is joining us uh, as a game publisher and uh, the owner and publisher of, Byron, let me make sure I get this right, it is Colin Epic War Games. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Colin's Epic War Games. Mm-hmm. Colin's Epic War Games. Byron, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. Appreciate it. You know, uh, we're gonna we talk about Kickstarter on this podcast, and uh, you have been writing extensively on Board Game Geek about your perspective and your experience with uh, with the Kickstarter experience because you have a game right now out on Kickstarter that you are launching. Tell us about that game. Uh, correct. Yeah, it's a um, it is a map expansion. For um, so it's basically a terrain expansion for a card war game that we have called Spearpoint 1943, and so we call it the Spearpoint 1943 map expansion for short. So if you want to search for it on Kickstarter, just search Spearpoint and it'll come up. Okay. But it's um, yeah, it's basically a um, takes our card war game a bit further. It's a it's you know the original game's like a thirty minute uh, filler. I mean it's it's really one sheet of rules. Um, it's a World War II theme plays really fast it's gotten a lot of good good reviews and and it's done really well for us so yeah uh, you've been out uh, how long about a week now has it been out about a week uh the game itself no uh the kickstarter project oh the kickstarter project it's been uh it's actually we we, we did a 60 day okay and so it's been out for uh, 30 days i guess we're about halfway through and you're at about 30 percent, which is good uh making that magic number uh, that kickstarter talks about um and you started to pick up momentum i think uh, one of the things, as we were talking before the show, uh, I think the D-Day dice you might be drafting a little bit because there aren't a whole lot of World War II-themed Kickstarter projects out there. Mm. Yeah, and that was interesting. It, and it was actually a, um, a concern that that wasn't the case, that there was, hey, wait a minute, there's no war games here. I mean, is that bad or is that you know going to make it so that we have a hard time because maybe the audience isn't into that kind of thing? So, yeah, I mean, I really didn't know what to expect. So, yeah, I hope that it... Um, I was, and then I saw D-Day Dice. I was like, "Holy cow!" Yeah, I, man, guess, this is I guess there's crazy. some interest, right? I guess there's yeah. some interest. So that's that's great. I mean, um, so, so yeah, I think there is a, a void there. That um, well, and the reason I asked you on the show was because um, your 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 project. This is your first official Kickstarter project with this expansion to uh, Spearpoint. Mm-hmm. Right. But you have extensive experience self-publishing your games. You're a game company. You started your game company, and you have actually gone through the process and have blogged about it extensively on Board Game Geek about the process of publishing a game, not just raising the money. Because I think your first game, you you said you uh, you had your right. own funding to do that. Is that correct? I yeah, I put my own money behind the production run. This is pre Kickstarter. Um, you know, I think if I had to do it again and knew knew about Kickstarter um, at at this point in time, I would have definitely gone that route. I mean, that's there's no no question. But it's uh, I I kind of equate Kickstarter and the whole business thing. I mean, you're basically raising money to do a project, a creative project, and that's great. Um, but you're you're raising money for a business venture is when you really um, boil it down. Because you're basically making a product, and I mean, when you do that, there's a lot more to think about than just okay. We need X number of dollars to do a print run of a thousand copies or whatever. I mean, it is it is. There's a lot of stuff you really got to consider. Let's let's and, talk, let's talk about a few of those things. Somebody sure. raises the money. 
they put a game out on Kickstarter. They're all excited. They got this game. They like it. They put it out there. Boom, they've got the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now, for most people, they think the money has always been the hardest part. Mm-hmm. So now they it, get the money, the hardest part is over, right? It's, it's a hard part. There's no doubt. Um, uh, the, really, the hardest part is, is building your brand. And if you're doing that as an individual, I would caution that um, you're, you're really risking a lot because, um, you know, and the difference between me, I'm a one-man company, but I have an LLC that kind of protects me a bit on the business side of things uh, as a limited liability uh, corporation. But it, and that's super easy to set up. And people think, oh, well, I can't make a business. I can't do a business. But you are doing a business when you take people's credit cards and essentially take the funding from, uh, from Kickstarter. You're on the hook for execution at that point. And that's, it, honestly, with no one you know, going through my first production, my second production, this would be my third game production. It's, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of getting the hang of things, and I have a distribution network in place, which took forever to get in place. I mean, there's a lot of stuff beyond just getting the money, and it's business licenses, it's tax implications, it's sales tax, it's it's going to conventions to promote your game. It's you know direct sales, it's indirect sales, it's uh, you know talking to distributors and getting your name out there. Uh, behind the scenes, I mean, industry type stuff. It's paying to be an exhibitor. You're no longer a uh, a casual gamer attending Origins. You're now an exhibitor, and maybe you're maybe you're doing a demo table or something, but you're not going to be allowed to sell games. So you got to think about all this stuff because it, it gets real expensive quick. So real um, expensive because what what are you spending that money on specifically? Um, most of my expenses beyond game production, that's the most expensive, but a lot of my expenses go into advertising to marketing. I mean, banner ads, um, are great, uh, uh, you know, websites. I mean, you got to run a website, you've got, which is not too hard, but if you start doing a web store, well, now you're buying an SSL certificate. Now you're getting a merchant account set up and now you've got to pay monthly to tickets to accept credit cards or, or you know, set yourself up through PayPal or whatever you want to do, but you've got to. You're essentially becoming a publisher if you are going to kickstart a game and print it yourself, and you plan to sell it to direct to those customers. Um, well, what are you going to do with the other 900 copies? You know, I mean, I mean, you don't want them sitting in your garage, and you don't have any distributors. So. Honestly, I mean, going through that a couple times and, you know, I'm at the point where I'm at now, I would think um, if I were to do this kind of blindly without thinking a whole a whole lot about it, I would be scared to death if all of a sudden 20000 or 80000 or whatever shows up in my bank account. Because now there's a lot of responsibility, a lot of work behind that. Yeah. And and not only that, but your your reputation is really on the line. It's not really, uh, you know. I mean, you've got you've got all this f- this money from people that that are depending on you to follow through. So, you know, Kickstarter is great. You can. It's a really great site. I love the site. I love the concept. Um, the the what, one parallel I made was to um, uh, on the on the customer side. It's kind of like. You know, if you're going to choose a project to support, it's kind of like picking stocks. 
You know, I mean, if you if you think about it as investing, because you're essentially as a customer investing in this project, and maybe it's my game, maybe it's another game, um, but you're taking in the information they're providing, and they're they're selling it to you. They're saying this is going to be a good game because this is going to be a good stock because it's going to perform. It's going to give you replayability. It's going to give you value. Um, you're going to get more out of it than you put into it. You know, that twenty dollars is going to turn into many more dollars worth of entertainment for you. You know, so you're essentially picking a stock when you pick a game on, and whether that's through a publisher or through Kickstarter or anywhere. And, you know, on the flip side, if you're a project owner, you are writing the prospectus. So if you're familiar with reading over prospectus, it's basically everything about that stock that's going to be proving that it can perform, that it can do what it says. So I guess as a project owner, I like to think about it as you're giving that information to the customer and you're asking people to invest in you, whether it's your design or you're publishing somebody's design or, um, or whatever the case may be. It's, you're asking for money. I mean, that's the bottom line now, with Kickstarter. It, it, it's true, though, that uh, several of the people who are doing this kickstarter we've got a lot of games out there uh, every week it hovers around my list on purple pond you know it's about 60 game projects out there mm-hmm. at any time um some of these you know are looking to do a business but some of them are just they just wanted to do something hey i got an idea and i just want to see it once mm-hmm. um, and and that's fine if you're going to do that um in a small capacity but i think you still have to consider all the business implications i mean um, you're really pushing the line. Even Kickstarter just sent an email out to uh, project owners. I, I don't have it at the moment, but it, it was talking about how if you raise over 20000 that money is going to be reported to the IRS, and you're going to have to account for that in your taxes and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's, it's all these things you got to really think about before you go put your project up there and ask for you know a goal of 20,000 and say you get 60,000 or you ask for 7,000 and you get 40,000 i mean you know, or or 8,000 or 7,000 um or you know whatever but i mean the the thing is i mean as soon as you get that money if it were me um not having gone through production of a game it would scare the crap out of me i mean it would be very scary uh, so- and Let's let's talk about production then. Let's uh, mm-hmm. somebody's just got all that money dropped into their account, mm-hmm. and to them the first step then is if they haven't already done it, all right, I got to get this thing produced. Now you have a card game, and there are a lot of card games out there. Mm-hmm. So tell people what are the steps you went through to get your a card game. So you self funded, but if if mm-hmm. you had received the Kickstarter, you still would have had to go through the same process. What was that process to find a uh, designer to find a uh, to print house? How did you do it? Um, you know, I looked at, um, with my first game, my first game was a little more than just cards. It was, it was a board and everything. It had, um, counters and all this kind of stuff in addition to cards. But I went around and looked at sources online, um, the best I could. But the key was I was picking these sources blind. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know who was good and who was bad. Um, if you talked to any of the game printers, um, you know, who specialize in game cards or whatever, card of Monday, whoever, they're going to tell you we need, we need a minimum run of 3,000 games to make it viable. You know, and, and, and I mean, you know, they, want, they don't even want to talk to you unless you're printing that much, which 
I would very greatly caution against that for your first game. You don't, I mean, unless you've pre-sold that much through Kickstarter, I mean, well, that be th- careful. Yeah. You know? So I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, D-Day Dice, with their combination of cards, dice, you know, they had 2,000 mm-hmm. backers, but uh, they had a couple of extra hundred. So, that, you know, they're, they're like maybe 2,500. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, and that's the exception. Right. So most yeah, of the, yeah you're it is. I mean, there was 180,000 or something. I mean, that's crazy. It but. is. But most of the time, these backers, if you're successful, you're getting two or 300 backers. And mm-hmm. you're right. You can't do a print run of just two or 300. Well, what's nice with, with D-Day Dice is the, the designer went through a publisher. I mean, if you notice, it's Valley Games that um, is, is actually publishing D-Day Dice. And I think that's the smartest thing because, I mean... Like I said, if the designer individually received 180 grand, I mean, you're on the hook again. And and but now in this case, the publisher I believe is receiving that, and he's gone through it before. He's gone through production, knows the sources, he has distribution, he has everything in place that that he you know he uses um, whoever, whether it's somebody in China or somebody domestic or somebody in Germany or Ludofact or whoever. And I mean, you've got a lot of sources out there, but do you um, have a do you have a recommendation, or how would somebody uh, who's listening to the podcast they've got a let's say a card game or a, a small simple board game? How would they go about finding a publisher at this point? Um, to find a publisher, or well, to find I'm sorry, no, actually to source the production to of source the, production yeah. to source production. Um, how would you find that? Uh, well, one thing I would do is talk to other people who have done it. That's the best thing you can do. And ask for ask for references. I mean, um, I'm welcome, um, more than happy to do that. You know, for people. And I mean, it, you know, I've you know sourced everything from dice to counters to cards to boxes, and there's a lot of places that can do it. Um, and what's surprising is there's a lot of U.S.-based people. Um, and companies that can do this, and you you eliminate, in my opinion, you eliminate a whole big hassle. Uh, you eliminate the language barrier with China. You eliminate the sh- the freight costs and the the time involved waiting for it to come over by ship. I mean, there's a lot of headaches you get rid of. I mean, a lot of people think immediately think China is the only ones that can do it or something, but and they do good quality work. Um, I've never used a Chinese printer. Uh, everything I've printed has been from domestic sources uh, in the U.S., which is kind of unique. It is yeah. kind of unique. Uh, mm. is, there a, is, that, uh, is there a cost difference? Are you sacrificing a, a, some... It's a little more um, you know, per unit, depending on what you're doing, but um, you make up for it by not paying for freight from China. So okay. I think it comes out in a wash. So somebody finds a... Uh, uh, they source the production of this. What are some of the gotchas as they start to produce this? Um, that are gonna um, you you got to be real careful with your graphics. I mean, pre-press and pre-production is very, uh, very much an involved process as far as getting these files the way that the printer actually needs them. Um, you may have artwork that you think is final, and it's not in the right format, or it's not in, the, and it's not as simple as save as you know to a different type. I mean, you've got to actually know a bit about graphic design or have an artist doing it for you. Uh, and maybe that's the case, but um, you know, to be familiar with that, I mean, it's not something you can learn overnight. And you've got to ask for what the it depends on the printer. I mean, what they require is the first thing that I would ask them is what 
um, you know, what formats do you need and you know, all that. Any stories that you want to share? Have you had any kind of like, Oh man, I learned from that one. I, um, I do. I had a, um, a source that I found for, Oh gosh, I thought it'd be unique to do. No, this is a lessons learned. I thought it'd be unique to do plastic counters you know, on my first game. So plastic rather than cardboard. So, cause it'd be more durable. And so, you know, I thought, well, this is a great idea. No, it wasn't a really great idea. So I had, I had to pay for a die and I had to get this, um, I, I went with this printer who, you know, and again, this is me doing production for the first time. I would never recommend right. this, or do it again, but, um, but yeah, I went with printing these hexagonal plastic blanks that players, and then the second part of that was a, basically a, a sticker because you couldn't print directly on the plastic that I was using. Um, that particular printer couldn't do it. So, so then you had these peel and stick vinyl die cut stickers, you know, laser dyed. I mean, and, and, and the players would have to, I didn't even think about it, but the first thing that I got as far as my first game, they were like, you mean we've got to peel off all these stickers and put them on these blanks? And, you know, totally bypassing, you know, I was totally bypassing the, the, the process the player would have to do, you know, once they open this game box. Have you never played see. Commanding Colors Ancients? <laughs> yeah, I know. What you're, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of similar. But um, You classify one of their games by the length of the movie it takes. Oh, that's a, that's a <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Rings 3, right. all three to get through all of those. Yeah. So I could see how you wouldn't even think about it from your customer standpoint. You're just thinking right. about, it. hey, what's a quick, easy way or a simple way I could do this mm-hmm. or a cool way? And it ended up being a lot more expensive than it should have, um, you know. But um, one other big lessons learned from me, my first game, um, I priced it not knowing how to price a game. And that's very difficult. I actually blogged about how to price a game on Publisher Perspective on BoardGameGeek. But the blog post basically outlines everything you've got to think about when you're pricing, um, including freight of those per-unit boxes or whatever you're getting done that's shipping to you. It's, it's expensive to get that shipped, um, domestic or wherever. Um, so there's a lot of lessons learned with production. That, um, but essentially with the pricing, I priced it too low. So my costs were so high that I thought, well, I can't sell this for, you know, cost times five, which is what I, you know, recommend you consider now. Um, because the, the, key, what, the key is um, I had a distributor approach me um, on the first game and I said, I can't afford your terms because I didn't know a thing about distribution. I mean, this is me totally brand new to the industry, getting into it and printing a game. And all right, okay, I've spent all this money. Um, and so I priced myself right out of distribution because distributors take 60% of MSRP. Um, so if your, if your game sells for, uh, if your game costs $10, you're better off, you, your, your best bet is to price it at 50. Um, because, uh, a distributor, if you get a distribution deal, which is pretty much in my opinion, very, um, important, uh, as far as getting your game out there and getting your brand built, um, the uh, distributors are going to take thirty dollars out of that fifty. Uh, so, and then you're left with two uh, fifths, uh, but one fifth of that actually goes to the printer. 
So you're left with one fifth. To now run your company, to run your marketing, mm -hmm. to marketing, pay, pay your right. taxes, pay for exhibit uh, exhibit fees and rent furniture at trade shows and all this craziness, and um, that's a, that's not a lot. So, but anyway, with my first game, I priced it slightly over um, one and a half times the cost. And it was just crazy. I mean, my cost was way too much. I should never, never produced it. Um, you know, but the gamers who did buy it got a huge value. Really, I mean, they've got tons of components. That thing is, my first game is like a, a tome. It's a weapon in the wrong hands. And, um, you know, but lessons learned. There's a lot of those lessons learned. So I try to pass that on whenever I can because I don't want to see other people like me going in with their great idea and then making mistakes because it's it's it costs you money i mean it really does now i mean the flip side is i'm still doing this i'm still here and i'm still making games so i'm, I'm you know was able to um break even with that and uh, the biggest caution i would say on top of all that is don't do a huge print run for your first game um if you're going to start small start small and stick to it um the the only problem you'll find is the economies of scale are, will not be in your favor. So the cost per unit is going to be way higher uh, if you're printing, you know, 500 copies versus 5,000. I mean, the cost per unit is ridiculously different. Um, but you got to ask yourself, do I need to print 5,000 just to get a good unit price? Because it's... Um, it's something you now you're going to have to sell 5,000 copies. You're going to have uh, to store those 5,000 copies. Yes. You're going to have to, there's all kinds and of storage things. is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so. we are, uh, Byron, we're out of time. Uh, okay. We're just a little bit over 20 minutes here. And we try to stay with 20 minutes. What I'd love to do is we, we really only touched on a few things, um, mm -hmm. is have a follow up if, uh, if you're willing. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of mm -hmm. talk about it. The last question I would ask, even though we're over time, is do you recommend. I've got this game. I got this idea. I'm going to put it on Kickstarter. Do you recommend, uh, rather than trying to go the whole game company, that you approach some of these uh, independent publishers to see if they're willing to help you negotiate some of these uh, tricky things? I think it's a smart decision. I mean, I, I, yeah, I definitely recommend that because um, hopefully they've gone through it, through it before and they've already made these mistakes and they've already learned everything. Uh, to so, get you through production pretty smoothly. So mm -hmm. you're a game uh, publisher. If uh, somebody mm -hmm. had a World War II themed or war themed game, are you, is it the type of thing where you're open to somebody bringing you an idea and helping them and then making it part of your, uh, your line of games? Sure. I mean, I evaluate every, every prototype on its own, you know, individually, of course, merits. And, and yeah, absolutely. That's part of my job as a, as a publisher. I'm branching out not just to do my own games we've got about uh i think i'm i've got about six seven projects in the works right now including stuff by external designers we've got working with um four external designers right now and one of them you mentioned uh, uh, jim day uh is yep. working on a cold war version of your spearpoint game mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's called spearpoint 1987 jim day did mbt and uh kaiser pirates and panzer and some other cool games and for avalon hill so um but yeah, he's 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 a nice guy, and he's he's working with us on that. And you know, we've got we've got a bunch of other games we're branching out on to do, and um, so that's pretty exciting. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm up for evaluating anything. And one thing that um, 
I, I have rejected some games, and um, but whenever I do that, you know, uh, regardless, I tell them here's all the feedback. I don't just send you a well, no thanks letter. You know, I, I I give like for example, the last game I looked at, I didn't think it was ready, and I said here's all your feedback, and typed up uh, six full pages of recommendations and things to think about. Basically, yeah. And I mean, of course, a designer is going to think, well, you know, my game's fine. I don't need to change it. Don't, that's one thing I would caution is don't have that attitude because it's not going to get you very far with a publisher. I mean, um, people think that, you know, publishers want to just change everything. And, um, you know, part of that, a lot of that is actually just based on experience. I mean, you get into the industry, you see um, what works, and it's not necessarily to make money. It's it's what works as a good game, um, and and not. I mean, if you're a good judge of that, then um, you know, as a publisher, you, you'll do fine. But um, you know, so it's you know, it's it's a tough call, you know, as far as accepting or rejecting things. But um, you know, it's it's got to be done. So. So hopefully, you know, a publisher will, I guess, strive for being a gate of quality um, and not just publish everything out there because I think that shows um, if you just push volume over yeah, quality. It so. does. It does. And uh, we won't mention any names on the show. Okay. Uh, but uh, that, that does happen. Byron, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. We're going to have you back. We're going to talk some more about there's so much more when it comes to, like, hiring an artist, working on the mechanics, um, playtesting, all of those things that you've... Uh, you've kind of identified and written extensively about, and it would be great to talk about that. So I want to sure. say thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, people can find your website. What's your website? Um, the current one is uh, frontlinegeneral.com, and we're actually working on a, a brand-new site that we ha- we're in testing right now, and it's uh, collinsepicwargames.com. So. so frontlinegeneral.com and then collinsepicwargames.com. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. Col- uh Byron, thank you very much. You have been listening to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, your host, and I want to say thank you for listening, and take care.